Welcome to the Indigenous United podcast with your hosts, Sierra, Atea, and Alexi. This is a podcast about issues important to us as Indigenous students at UC Berkeley. We would like to recognize that Berkeley sits on the territory of Huchen, the ancestral and unceded land of the Chichenyo Ohlone, the successors of the historic and sovereign Verona Band of Alameda County. Welcome to the first episode of our new season. In today's episode, we talk about the fires that have ravaged California, how they've impacted us personally, and how they've impacted the land. We visit a site that was recently impacted by the fires on lands that belong to the California State Parks, but that Alexi's tribe, the Amamitsan, helped to steward. Just to bring uh, the conversation about the fires and the ongoing wildfires into you know, the context of our day-to-day lives, um, did this smoke come to y'all's house or did you, were you all affected by the smoke in the past months? For me, I remember waking up to a very orange, dark sky. I kind of thought it was the middle of the night or the evening, and I thought I slept in. But I realized when I checked my phone and saw the notifications of the fires, I realized that it was the smoke, and I was just really shocked. I thought it it seemed very apocalyptic to me. I remember like taking pictures and sending them to like home and my family was very concerned for me. (laughs) And it was like that for like a couple of days before it eventually cleared up. Not in that on that day specifically, but I think a couple of days before when the air was still really bad, but the sky wasn't as apocalyptic. Like I I really wanted to go for a run. But this, you know, the um, air quality index was in the really unhealthy level. And I just remember having this moment of frustration that I couldn't go outside. I just felt like colonization had completely ruined the atmosphere. And so I couldn't exercise and like feel good that day. And I just felt really angry. Yeah, it's shelter in place. And then you have to wear a mask for two reasons then um, for the air quality and then also for COVID. Uh, I went for a bike ride, I remember during one of the smoky days because I just needed to get outside, but then I got a terrible headache after. So it really just kept us in I think, for a long time and it was tough, but yeah, I mean, in 2020, California had five of the six largest wildfires in recorded state history. And one of those was that giga fire, which was the August complex fire uh, that we observed in in Pescadero. And that one burned more than 1 million acres. So we were just on one of the small boundaries of of that huge complex fire of 1 million acres. Uh, This year, there's been 4 million acres that have been burned through. And there's still 20 wildfires right now. And we're waiting for the rainy season to come, but it's it's not coming real soon. It's still dry and hot. Um, So there is still danger that you know, that smoke will, will come back and um, the fires will continue uh, for the coming weeks. Today we talked about the fire, sort of how indigenous stewardship and burning 
has been a traditional practice in the area and impacts in the in the moment, but also in uh, the broader context of climate change. Yeah, we're right on the coast uh, near Pescadero in the traditional territory of the Quiroste people. And so we're about two miles inland from Point Año Nuevo. We're here in unincorporated San Mateo County uh, near the coast. And we're right off White House Creek Road in a preserve owned by state parks. And we're sitting in uh, on a hillside that's just been recently burned through by the uh, lightning complex fires. And we're sitting on the, the bare ground among burnt chaparral that uh, lost a lot of its leaves and burnt Douglas firs that are still standing. Uh, you can hear the Highway 1 drivers driving next to us. And we're looking at the beginning of the Santa Cruz Mountains to the east, where you can see the ridgelines have been burnt through clearly. The hillsides are really bare uh, from the fire. But just to the north of us, about 200 meters, it's completely fine. And the fire didn't get over there because White House Creek Road was the fire line. And so that's where all the firefighters were one month ago to block the fire from spreading further to the north. Yeah, the ground is just covered in ashes. There are blackened pine needles and white ash. I think, Alexi, you were telling us the white parts are where the fire burned the hottest. Yeah. So those are kind of all around us. Yeah, the ground just looks really barren. There's some areas near burnt-down bushes where there is some, some new growth. Do you know when these fires were put out, Alexi? I think maybe three, four weeks ago. And like you're saying, you can kind of see the sprouts of that manzanita shrub right there you know it has sprouts that are what eight and inches high already mm -hmm. which is pretty neat this is where the first state park is big basin state park and that was kind of the start of the preservation movement here in california the semper virens fund i think helped initiate that because people were worried about the logging because they wanted to keep the beautiful old growth redwoods which are beautiful but their idea of keeping this area beautiful was to preserve it, to stop fire there, to, to keep it intact. And, you know, kind of like the John Muir wilderness ideas is really founded here in the Santa Cruz Mountains for California, at least. And what happens is these crazy fires that if you, you know, look online and see Big Basin today, it really got burnt through uh, pretty badly. Yeah, it's so interesting to me the way, I think the way that um, settlers approach conservation and quote-unquote wilderness of, you know, demarcating a, an area of land and then not doing anything in it except for, for hiking and going out to be in nature. It's not really being in good relation with the land, which sounds like that was something that you're, and these are your ancestral lands, right, o Alexi? Yeah. 
how would the Amma Mutsin, you being in good relation with land, what does that look like? What does that mean to you and, and your people on this land? Well, I think, yeah, like a lot of indigenous peoples uh, have good relationships uh, with their ancestral lands. Uh, and it's vital to well-being, survival, culture. And you're right, it's really distinct from putting a hiking trail in a redwood forest and staying on the trail and going through it and taking photos of it or something. Uh, I think what it is is being able to see everything as your relatives, to be able to know a region intimately and know when it's not healthy and know when uh, it needs to be tended and to have a sense of caring for other animals and other plants and try to steward if you can in a way that supports uh, the well-being of uh, important animals, important plant foods and cultural foods as well. And it's trying to not be so selfish about, you know, I want this to look good for me. I want to enjoy nature because I deserve it or something like that. Uh, so I think we're trying to get back to that, to be able to have those good relationships. Uh, and we're doing that by trying to restore landscapes and doing land management uh, in a way that's definitely different than some of the past land management practices that have gone on here in the past a few decades and in the 1790s Spain banned fires in California so there has been a history of fire suppression since the 1790s here and that was one of the primary methods of stewardship by coastal California tribes and that was kind of a way to have a good relationship with uh, your traditional territory to foster biodiversity um, and to keep everything healthy. And the ecosystem relied on that. Humans and coastal California indigenous peoples were essential to the well-being of the ecosystem. And so when you ban fire and you commit a genocide against peoples, the ecosystem and the land also uh, is affected. And I'm sure, you know, in your traditional territories too, both of you, there's been that history of removal and disconnection and the lands just aren't as healthy. The people aren't as healthy and it's, it's really sad. Yeah. I, I been, have been thinking too about how fires, there's such a misconception about that fires are always bad and they're always destructive and we don't want fires. And I think even listening to the news about like the fires in this area, I think it struck a lot of worry and sort of, oh, like this is only exacerbating sort of ongoing environmental issues and degradation that is already happening. But I think coming here and actually seeing that there's still life you know, after um, it's been about a month and there is regrowth, like you mentioned before, some of these shrubs already have like new plants growing. Um, and a lot of the branches that have been burned 
they aren't burned all the way through and they're still like alive. And so I think reframing fire as something that is not so stigmatized and not so destructive and just part of sort of like our natural practices. Um, and it's a part of life. And I think a lot of Native people consider fire to be sacred and have creation stories that situate fire within their traditions as coming from their holy people or in different stories, there's different conceptions. But I think a lot of them burn with intention and burn knowing that this is, you know, destruct destructive, um, but also a life-giving force. I feel like the only way that settlers know how to interact with with land is destructive. And so for them, um, you know, you have to you have to designate an area, a wilderness area where you won't go in and destroy it because that's that's the only relationship you can have to the land. And and I feel like the disconnect is is in knowing, not knowing all these other ways of relating to land that aren't destructive, but they also don't mean that you that you can't you can't caretake the land and steward the land and and understand what it needs, such as like a, a fire, like we were talking about, that maybe the land does need that sometimes and the seeds need that and the plants, you know, need that. But it it just feels like, you know, settlers are so unaware of the things that land needs and how to how to caretake it. We want to pause and highlight some of the events that are happening around campus. We want to plug in an announcement for the 45th annual American Indian Film Festival in San Francisco. That's happening November 4th through the 14th, 2020, and it highlights the best movies, music, videos, and original entertainment by American Indian and First Nations peoples. So yeah, go check it out. Also, are you struggling in quarantine? We have a couple of pandemic pastimes that we want to share. Self-quarantine, but make it indigenous. This is shared by the Indian Collective. Some ideas are talk with and support elders responsibly and safely. Start seedlings. Make traditional medicines. Reconnect with your traditional language, stories, and songs. What are your people's stories and songs for fall or calling in protection and help? Learn a traditional craft or skill. Weaving, pottery, beading, birch bark art, regalia design and sewing. Support fellow indigenous artists, craftspeople, entrepreneurs, and knowledge keepers whose work may be impacted by this pandemic. Or learn about Indigenous Self-Determination and Sovereignty by reading the UN Declaration on Indigenous Peoples. And you can follow the Indian Collective on Instagram at NDN Collective. Also, follow the Native American Student Development Office at UCB NASD to find out about more upcoming events that you can plug into. Thanks for listening. Now, back to our episode. Talking about the difference between indigenous relationships with land and land management and settler relationships. Do you see that in your communities, in your homelands? Yeah, definitely in the Four Corners, New Mexico, Colorado, Arizona area, and Utah for Navajo people. Um, creation stories in that area, specifically Farmington, is an example that I'm thinking about. 
where it is sort of a central area within our four sacred mountains where we believe emergence came from. And it is a sacred space. But at the same time, we have Farmington as a border town being primarily white people and sort of formation in the 19 late 1800s early 1900s when it first started out as a as a settlement town it it was primarily agricultural and um really became it's a city through oil and gas um production in that area there's like a few wells that they started getting petroleum oil from and and that it it is an oil town that's how it was created and still to this day like i think they're um there's still power plants and and that's primarily a a big employment for navajo people some people argue for it to still be there because it supplies the community with energy and with employment but at at the same time it's it's not that wasn't always happening in that land um in that area and there's a lot of pollution the air quality has been declining for many years uh like people with asthma are sensitive to just the per- permanent like sort of air quality now has been very like smoggy and stuff but it's just like a, a similar situation all over the United States of like environmental racism where these sites are located on the reservation or really close to the reservation and the Navajo Nation also just has another history of uranium mining which still has a lot of like impacts for elders and people living in the area who were just living there for for all of their family generations and and these mines and and toxins came from like the corporations and just sort of are still there and they're they're trying to clean up a lot of the pollution that has been left over so i think it is kind of really sad to see that happening but i i feel like now more conscious um youth are like thinking about these questions as well of just like you know these are our homelands how are how are we treating it and how are we allowing like um town like smaller town city councils to treat it and sort of taking back conversations and discussions and decision making from like city councils who are non-native or don't really understand like the historical gen- like genocide and also like oil extraction that are part of the same settler colonial project in a small scale form just generally in our in our culture as a globe seeing like climate change become more of an issue i think people are thinking about that more in my community yeah and i and thinking about climate change in in relation to all of these fires you know this is the the worst fire year in california's history you know i was just listening to the to the news and Currently, the fires have burned through 4 million acres in the state. Um, and, and so, you know, we're really just seeing this catastrophic fires this year. I, I just feel like it's just this compounding of, of all these various issues of, of the land being mismanaged, but then also the the climate, the the global environment, you know, not being not being cared for, and 
the two compounding upon each other in, in making the climate hotter and drier. Also, when people think about conservation, I think a lot of the time they're like, oh, we're going to plant all these trees, but don't really think about planting trees in environments and ecosystems that they're not historically a part of, like can really upset the sort of flow and and they affect they affect all the other plants and animals in, in the area. And I don't think that's always sort of thought about, taken into consideration. Also, I'm coming from Colorado and we have invasive trees as well, which brought by Europeans into the Southwest and they've now taken over a lot of our mountains. They are trees and, and it's like nice to have growth and have those plants there, but they um, are not native species to the area. So in a way, they are classified as invasive species and are seen as sort of harmful to the other plants. So I think it's interesting that people try to conserve or approach conservation by like bringing in sort of a practice of planting trees and assuming that it will solve everything and that it'll undo all of the harm. But that's not how it works. It sort of has to be done in small steps and also in like ways that are sensitive to the, the already existing communities of ecosystems living in the area. That reminds me of this time I was working for the BIA on my reservation back home in Utah. And we were working with this environmentalist group that came in and was wanting to remove tamarisk, which are some invasive bushes that that grow in the southwest. And, and we're having this conversation about removing tamarisk and, and this like really nice little white environmentalist just had this moment this I just saw the light bulb go on above his head as he was sitting in like the the tribal building talking to us and he was like you know white people we're like invasive species we don't belong here <laughs> and I was just like yeah <laughs> you're right well, how does it feel, I mean, Alexi, to like be here on your traditional homelands and to see the devastation of of these fires? Like, what is it, what does it evoke? The first thing I think about are the people who have died and the animals who have died in the recent fires and how sad that is. I think what gives me hope is when areas are cleared, there is an opportunity to restore. And I think these fires have cleared a lot of areas that have not been stewarded for generations. And there is an opportunity to restore it. And also, it may help people recognize that we do need to manage these lands well. I'm really excited about future opportunities to restore native plants and ecosystems here and to do more prescribed fire, to do more cultural burning. Now that a lot of the fuel has been removed, we might be able to start doing those burns more. Great. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed that episode on the fires. Uh, there are so many different factors um, and issues that arose from these large wildfires, uh, including uh, prison labor being used to um, be on the front lines and the folks sacrificing their lives are 
getting paid poorly, incredibly poorly. Um, they did make a change to that. And so that was really interesting to see Gavin Newsom sign something in, into place. And also, uh, Trump recently is sending emergency aid to California. Um, he initially refused because he didn't see, uh, the, the catastrophic effects, um, as worthy of, um, emergency money. Although, you know, the, the fires have up to date destroyed over 9,200 structures in California alone. So, uh, I think this emergency funding can hopefully help out a lot of the families and individuals who, who suffered and were affected by these fires. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks so much for listening. We want to thank Native American Student Development for supporting us in making this podcast. And we also want to thank Superman for letting us use his song, Prayer Loop. If you like the music, go and check him out.